0: Welcome to the Mama Embodied podcast with yours truly, Shayna Ray. I'm a somatic attachment coach and therapist that is absolutely dedicated to supporting your soul's evolution as you prepare and step into the prenatal, pregnancy, and postpartum journey. Mama Embodied is a must listen for mothers and mothers to be who are seeking support, community, and all of the tips and tricks to heal yourself so that you can raise secure, resilient kids that can thrive in this unpredictable world. This show is here to help you understand the power and impact of repairing your attachment system and how healing yourself on all levels, mind, body, and soul not only changes your life, but also shapes your future generations' lives to come. Through honest conversations around conscious parenting, effective attunement and communication, mental health, and physical well being, we're going to explore the importance of embodying what you want your kids to learn so that you could be the one in the family line that stops the family inherited trauma and creates a safe and loving foundation that your family can lean on. So join me and guest experts in the field as we embrace our stories, share our wisdom, and help you create a life full of well-being, joy, love, and connection with you and your loved ones. So mamas, let's get started. How's it going, my love? Welcome back to the show. Now, if you didn't know, I'm what's called a somatic attachment coach and therapist. And oftentimes when I tell people this, they scratch their heads because they haven't heard what somatic therapy is or what attachment trauma is really all about. So let me drop a little truth bomb for you. The truth is any limiting beliefs you have or issues you'd like to resolve in your current reality whether that's anxiety, depression, low self-worth, looping negative thoughts, trust issues, relationship issues, etc. Well, the ruptures that created these responses in you actually stem from what happened in your childhood. Now, when you hear the word trauma, most people link it to event trauma, right? Like losing a loved one or being involved in a school shooting. But A lot of the trauma we've faced in life is actually what's called attachment trauma. So in other words, what happened or didn't happen for you in your dynamics with your caretakers when you were in the infancy stages of life. You see, your attachment system is your emotional regulation system. And when an infant or a child doesn't get their secure attachment needs met on a consistent basis... It develops developmental disappointments and survival strategies that greatly impact how your nervous system functions in adulthood. So if you struggle to regulate your own nervous system or you oftentimes get triggered by your kids' emotions, meltdowns, or tantrums, this is just a clear sign that you have attachment trauma. But the great news is that when we repair our attachment systems, we can finally create a life we truly desire. So I am just so excited to have the creator of the adult attachment repair model, Peter Cummings, on the show to explain all of this in more detail because he is a wealth of neurobiology knowledge that is so needed in the mental health space. He's quite honestly revolutionizing the way we do therapy, and I just feel so grateful to know him and to be trained by him and support my clients through his methods Because this work has absolutely changed my life. Now, throughout the show, you might hear us call this model ARM because those are the initials for adult attachment repair model. But these sessions are also oftentimes called stick work because we use a literal stick in session. I know it sounds very weird, but hear me out, okay? So I want you to imagine this stick like a beautiful long piece of driftwood And when the client and practitioner use this in an arm session where each person is holding one end of the stick, it actually acts like an attachment thermometer. And not only does it help you drop into your body sensations easier, which is what somatic therapy is all about, right? Going into the body instead of the mind. It also shows you in real time how high your traumatic attachment load is. Now, If some of you are thinking, Shayna, but you do this on Zoom, how are you able to use a stick in a virtual setting? And the truth is I have my clients visualize it and it creates the exact same impact on their nervous systems. Even my clients that claim that they can't visualize are able to visualize the stick. It's pretty wild. So when we talk about the stick in this podcast interview, this is what we're pointing to. Now, Peter comes from a very long history in the mental health field, and after becoming an EMDR therapist at the beginning of his career, he found the limitations in that modality and wanted to dive deeper into why it helped some people, but not most people. So he has spent over 35 years developing the adult attachment repair model so that clients can finally create lasting change in how their nervous system and emotional regulation system functions in the world, which makes this form of therapy just an amazing way to support yourself through the motherhood journey. So once you hear this episode, if you're interested in receiving adult attachment repair sessions, you can book your free discovery call with me and apply for my one-on-one mentorship program. So that way I can learn more about you, your goals, what you're going through And if I'm a great fit for you and you're a great fit for this work, I'll extend an invite to come work with me. And if you're looking to become an ARM practitioner, we actually have study groups going on that you can attend right now. So I'll make sure to include all of the details in the show notes as well. Now, without any further ado, let's just dive into today's episode. Peter, can I first start off by saying I am so excited to have you on the show because the model that you've... Created has absolutely changed my life as well as my clients' lives. I feel like I've had it's been such an honor to work with you and learn this model. And now I'm excited to just share what you've created with more people, especially through things like this podcast. So, to kick off this conversation, I wanted to first give our listeners a little bit more information about you. So I wanted to start off with, like, how long you've been in this mental health space, what led you to create the adult attachment repair model, and then we'll dive into attachment trauma and all that comes with it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think what's important is that, you know, I may represent a new wave of uh, mental health professional that hasn't gotten much recognition. Over the years, I kind of identify with Deb Dana and Bonnie Badnock, and people have written books and have been recognized, like from the academics, like Porges has recognized Deb Dana and uh, Badnock both. And um, what we're bringing, I think, is the non elite side of mental health. We've been in the trenches. Uh, I came to all my understandings from doing clinical work and not so much high level research. And so, you know, having my modest beginnings and not being at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, the pecking order in mental health has forced me to look at what clients are teaching me day to day in the office and i often felt like i was at a disadvantage to many of the uh, academic types who you know a publisher will pretty much take whatever they say is gospel and run with it and so like those of us working in the trenches um, have brought an understanding of the healing process from day-to-day work with people versus the academics, which are looking at theory. You know, they're they're taking theory and then trying to um, have their followers use that theory as the jumping off point for helping people. Um, I'm just the opposite. I'm taking practical experience and saying, when you do this, you get this. And when you do this, you get this. And um, have had to kind of harness myself as best I can to just go as slow as the healing process needs to be and not try to have transformation as something that can happen in the moment, mm-hmm. but more something that happens over extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And I've been surprised to find out that that's hard to sell. You know, the public health view is that we can come up with an insight and that insight has the power of transformation. So I'm kind of a disruptor um, in terms of what I've learned and then feeling the confidence to bring it to the higher ups in the field and say, You know, what you say may be true, but, um, you know, it's a long-term process. And if we don't appreciate how that long-term process looks from moment to moment, from session to session, from week to week, to month to month, to year to year, we're not going to be able to guide somebody through recovery, you know? Mm -hmm. So I come from a very modest background. I, I think my biggest credential is I've had... Um, pretty radical trauma that I've had to deal with growing up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's my best credential is that I survived all that. And, you know, working with people in the field, what I've come to understand is that if somebody really perceives themselves as a healer, then that's all I need to be able to work with somebody and teach them what I know. Uh, because I've trained both mainstream therapists and the alternative crowd, which are highly metaphysical folks. So, you know, I come from a very honest day-to-day background where clients have taught me uh, I've had 35 years of developing this model, watching things unfold in front of me that I didn't quite understand. Uh, for a long time, for some things, until I just stayed with it, read the literature, looked at neuroscience. And I think your audience probably would understand that what I bring to the table is a grounding in neuroscience that I gained myself, Um, you know, that I dug into all the relevant literature, looked at what was happening in the treatment room, and said, oh, you know when somebody's eyes roll up mm-hmm. spontaneously in the middle of a session there's got to be an answer why that got triggered why that happened mm-hmm. and so it's things like that that I've been decoding now for 35 years and so when people come to my training i can offer a decoding of what sensations in the body mean mm-hmm. and you know, sensations are more than just physical sensations. They're visual, they're auditory, they're kinesthetic. And so there's a whole uh, wide world out there that has been not been tapped because, you know, the minute a therapist is asked to stay with body sensation, they are pretty much lost and, and don't, they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and i was one of those you know i spent many years understanding that i needed to decode what was going on in the body but not quite knowing how to do it if i was pursuing it in the right fashion so i don't want to get too far ahead of myself so i kind of just stick to my introduction here i'm an lcsw Um, That was one of the fastest ways to get credentials and to start practicing. You know, um, I'm now in my 70s and have been practicing for, it's hard to believe, in the neighborhood of 50 years. Mm -hmm. And 35 years of that were spent, um, first of all, with EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And that was my gateway into understanding how the body works, the neuro aspects of how we, we use the body to intervene as the main source. So, you know, I, I've done a wide array of things. I've worked in substance abuse. I've worked in couples work. I've worked in inpatient um i've worked with heroin addicts um i mean you know i've been in the in the trenches in the what we call the mental health coal
2: mines
1: (laughs) doing you know really frontline work and i resented i think a lot of the privilege the whole time i was doing that where you know i would get like a, a harvard trained psychiatrist from in Miami, where I was working, and um, they would kind of, you know, they were pedagogical, they were know-it-alls, basically. And, um, you know, I felt like, you know, they're not doing what I do every day with clients. And this often gives you a perspective that somebody who might have had all the right moves academically, they don't get to do And so, because I've been around so long, many of these people who used to be my supervisors, some of them are actually coming to me for therapy now. (laughs) And and so, I get a really deep inside look about their careers, and I respect them. I, I, you know, am awestruck by their perfection, so to speak. But There's another side to it, and that's kind of what I'm attracting in the training, people who see themselves as healers and don't equivocate on that. They're just totally comfortable with that notion, and most of the mainstream therapists are discouraged from uh, considering themselves in this light. They're, They're made to be technicians. They're made to look at static models of psychopathology you know if you've got depression um and i tell you you have depression and i can give you all the parameters around depression something new and exciting is supposed to open up there Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: i don't see it happening you know so um anyway i'll stop for a minute here.
0: I could listen to you talk all day long, peter. i think I think what's so cool about your work and what you've created with this model is, like you said, you've you've been in the trenches. Like so many leaders are, you know, going off of research in theory. But, the amount of clinical practice you have and working with so many different people through different walks of life, what they've gone through, and then add the neuroscience and finally creating the map. It's like this podcast is called Mama Embodied. Like what you're explaining is like you're embodying what you want your clients to know. And Mm -hmm. I know when we we're in our training series you always told us like we're like wounded healers you know we come into this work we've all been through something I loved our cohort it was so intimate and it's like we've come to the other side and like through this work have created these different shifts which will in turn support your client if you've been there and been in the trenches and also working with more people it's only going to help you support more people
1: if that. Makes yes, sense. yes, yeah. I mean it's 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 really kind of gratifying to have people like you invite me to talk because the experience of unearthing and discovering all these things that I have put into the manuscript that nobody reads um
0: <laughs> I read it Peter. I read the whole freaking thing. Have notes
1: 500 page <laughs> manuscript and it's like impossible to get somebody to read it. Um <laughs> But I think that's neuroscience. I think that, uh, you know, as I read neuroscience, scientists, it's uh, a different language, it's a different uh, way of of conceptualizing things. And that's a big, tall order for somebody who's looking at psychodynamic work and, you know, the quality of the relationship based on. how you interact with that client, giving them their own ability to be self-directed and all that. In this model, a lot of those concepts just don't work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it upsets people that the sacred cows, so to speak, of mental health, like self-determination, permission, granting, all these things are now kind of put on the shelf They're not irrelevant, but, you know, I think um, if we move into a discussion about attachment um, and attachment trauma, I can explain a little bit better why the rules are changing. You know, I don't want to get there before you're ready, so.
0: No, I'm ready. Yeah, I want to dive into that. It's something we were talking about before we hit record is, What led you to start seeing, like, oh, attachment trauma is something we should be focusing on? What's the difference, you know? From 1972,
1: which is a long time ago, you know, I decided I was going to get into the mental health field. And in 1972, all you had really were psychiatrists. And um, the rest of us were considered kind of crackpots, you know, who were trying to assume a different approach than the medical field and um, flesh out a new order of of care and in 72 i got got very much involved with bioenergetics
2: Mm
1: -hmm. i don't know if you've ever heard of bioenergetics Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but that was that was the flavor of the month back then you know that was like the it was like emdr in its Mm -hmm. 70s you know and it was the first time that i was given a heavy dose of body work and although i can see from the work that i've done over the last 35 years that a lot of the bioenergetic strategies were flawed there was a basic truthfulness that came from the overall effort of trying to tap into the body and that's what bioenergetics did in a very big way
2: Mm -hmm. you know
1: and um, I was always searching for something that was grounded in science, mm-hmm. even though I might have been in a lot of creative therapies, you know, what I call the pop psychotherapies, like mm-hmm. rational emotive therapy, gestalt therapy and um, transactional analysis and all these different approaches. You know, I, I would sample all those to see if there were truths that I could hold on to. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't until I got into the 90s, 20 years later, and had done a lot of different things that I started to look at EMDR. And EMDR was the first really thing that revolutionized my approach. And it was sort of like being an artist where you have to learn to paint realistically first. You can go to abstract work. EMDR was like that for me. It, it kind of gave me the tools to feel like I was doing something technical that could be reproduced, and that it was different than traditional talk therapy. Although it defaulted to talk therapy quite frequently, mm-hmm. um, it was it was the thing that most promoted me. So. When I was doing EMDR, um, I noticed that it would work really, really well with some folks and not at all with others.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it was that split between working as a method, EMDR, and not working. And so I remained uh, in gratitude towards EMDR, even though it wasn't totally fulfilling my needs as a therapist, you know, to be able to reliably say to somebody, yes, I can help you. So I, I left the fold, so to speak. I was presenting at national conferences as an EMDR therapist. And um, when I started to branch out, I remember one conference in Denver that I did, I forget what year it was. And that's when I started using a transitional attachment object or stick as part of a way to um, stimulate more sensation in the body and it was all impressionistic i mean i i was using my intuition and um just following people's reactions and staying with what seemed to work and throwing out what didn't and that started to really really teach me um the the importance that I know now, I mean, what therapists don't know, really, most therapists doing talk therapy, don't understand that the, the, the deepest place that you can get with a client is when you help them identify what's going on in their bodies. Mm-hmm. And then you join with them in that experience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that takes a whole different set of skills and intervention than talk therapy and so um you know this may be the part in our discussion where people start scratching their head and say what is he talking about you know (laughs) maybe maybe having you know gone through the training and having tried to implement what you know maybe you could uh, help the audience understand what i'm trying to say here a little bit better no
0: yeah totally i think what you're starting to talk about is a bottom-up approach versus top-down yes yeah so it's like with the top-down approach it's what we've always been taught therapy should be to talk about our problems right, talk right. about what's going on and what we think if you can
1: happening. problem solve or give an insight um, that was the medium of change you know mm-hmm.
0: And like, I want to say like talk therapy, I'm sure there is some, like, at least there's like a bond and a safe place to go. But something my clients, probably more than half my clients would say to me is, you know, I did try talk therapy, but I could feel there was only so far I can go with that. And they felt the limitations. And that's the same thing with me. I, well, I tried talk therapy once and I just knew Mm -hmm. it wasn't the thing for me intuitively. I'm like, this doesn't feel good. I don't feel like I'm walking away with anything. Um, there's gotta be a different way, which is why I kept searching personally as well. And that's, then- that's, why, that's why I love, uh, when clients say
1: this to me, you know, I've been in talk therapy and I haven't realized the kind of personal changes that I want, mm-hmm. um, it's a chance to really educate about the difference between uh, the models, how the models differ so greatly. Mm-hmm. And that's where we. That's where I start with a client on having them understand what it means to have attachment trauma versus what I call event trauma.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you're in a car accident or you're in a situation where you're ambushed and maybe physically struck or emotionally struck by a situation, um, that's event trauma,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, attachment trauma is a, is a little bit of a different, not a little bit, a whole lot of a different animal, really. Yeah. And the, the scarring that comes from attachment trauma is really not making sense out of your life. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you have a parent that's indifferent, uh, you know, shows recklessness in their handling of you as their child. Um that kind of leaves you with a gap that uh, you can't really explain as a child Mm -hmm. or as a developing person. You really can't describe that. So what I try to get people to understand is that I'm not going to ask you to tell me about these gaps that happen to you when somebody mistreats you. You can have kind of a blank spot inside of you that – You know, I call it the unknown known. Mm -hmm. In other words, a kid knows that they've gone to school every day with no lunch money and had to sit there and fake, you know, eating a lunch. And all they can do is try to get through that humiliation. And it's it's just too tall of an order to try to put meaning into Mm -hmm. why a parent would do that. And so when people come in... It becomes our job as a healing guide around attachment trauma to understand that there are what I call narrative voids where really an anguish lurks, you know, that the anguish is really being repudiated by being treated badly. You know, anytime we're treated badly, we have to kind of step back and say, maybe that person that's trying to guide me into a life doesn't really want me here, doesn't really think that I should exist. And that becomes kind of the unknown known. Mm -hmm. You know? So when a client comes in and they're sitting there, and in the first session, You can say to them, you know, we're fleshing out what your family looks like on this diagram we're drawing, and I'm getting your history, and I'm understanding that there there was a role that you played in this family, and this role was way beyond your maturity level, Mm -hmm. and you just kind of stepped up, because you had to. You understood the seriousness of not stepping up emotionally, and playing shock absorber. So that follows with a person all the time until they come into your office and they have no wisdom much about it other than there's a vague unknown known existing within them. And so as they're sitting there with you and you you can look at the data you're getting and you can look at the look on their faces and you can say to them, well, that was pretty bad and nine times out of 10, the client's going to say, you yeah, know, there's plenty of people that had it much worse than I did. Right. You know, and I'll say, well, let's check the body out and see if that holds up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, when when you ask a client to move from their head into their heart and they start looking at how the body's holding stress around disappointment, developmental disappointment, mm-hmm then they start to rethink, oh, it was that bad. It really was that bad. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a heinous event for it to really, really negatively impact me. And what's different about attachment trauma is that it's an aggregate. It's it's not something that you target like an EMDR where you get all the like events, you know, all the time you've been rejected and you put all those episodes of rejection together in one pot Mm -hmm. and then you try to process them that doesn't work yeah it doesn't work um, because the the clients are left to their own devices just like the kid that had to rise to the occasion and become the shock absorber Mm -hmm. there's never been an opportunity for them to process why they were thrust into this compromised place and why nobody came and rescued them, Mm -hmm. you know? And as you start to get the clients to understand that their systems really do start to change and they'll fight you like hell not to (laughs) go there. Yeah, absolutely. They'll start talking to you. They'll they'll do all kinds of things to uh, kind of reverse or change the guidance that you're giving them to just allow this negative experience that's been put on hold for decades a lot of time. So attachment trauma is um, really something that grows from developmental disappointments. Mm -hmm. And when a client comes in that sense that, there's something wrong that they can't get past, is the responsibility of the therapist to tell them about. In other words, one of the things I think from this last training that we did that became real clear to me is that a skill set is your ability to narrate what mm-hmm. the client has as a narrative void, to tell them about the impacts, negative impacts of being you know kind of rejected Mm -hmm. and um having the ability to do that skillfully and use the right timing prosody of voice tone of voice um Mm -hmm. timing all this stuff is really what starts the new client who comes in for attachment healing uh puts them down a path and Sometimes it can take months and months and months before somebody will settle into this approach because they feel so disloyal mm-hmm. to their family of origin, you know? Right. So
0: Yeah, it's it's a paradigm shift in healing yes. and moving through trauma. Cause like we talked about before we hit record, I was telling him like the first time I did adult attachment repair, if someone said, Oh, you have attachment trauma, I'd be like, No, I don't. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I don't have attachment trauma. And it's what you said, these developmental disappointments, these little things that they seem small, but really impact the nervous system. So I would love for you to explain like examples of developmental disappointments, because to me, it's not feeling seen, heard and understood. I think a lot of parents almost just have emotional immaturity because maybe they weren't held in their emotions. So they have a low toleration for their kids' emotions, but I'd love for you to Talk yeah,
1: about I, what our. I always like to go back to Alice Miller. Uh, you know the uh, drama of the what is it, gifted child? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the name of the book. The drama of the gifted child, something like that. Something. Yeah,
0: I, I remember the gifted child's in the title.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and
0: yeah, she wrote this like in the
1: 70s, 80s, and it was so wise, because what she's seen what she's saying, developmentally. Is that if a child does not feel seen, you know, from the earliest days, right, as a neonate right through to delivery and infancy, mm-hmm. if that child doesn't feel gotten seen, they will spend the rest of their life in search of being seen. Mm-hmm. And I can really see that reenactment happening in adult life. And a lot of the research tells us that if somebody comes into the world with a high distress quotient, like right after birth, and they're in distress for the first year of life, that distress solidifies into anger and fear. Mm -hmm. And that plagues that person for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we'll be doing the work and the body in its wisdom will access some of these primitive traumas Mm -hmm. and that's where i really learned oh it's not about instructing the client it's really about being with them in this experience where they can feel seen right that they can escalate right up to the point where they feel they're going to burst apart with you know tension inside and they don't somebody's somebody's reflecting back to them what nobody has reflected.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: we know from neuroscience that grief does not get neutralized without somebody else outside the person reflecting back to them what what they're trying to get a hold of, you know, themselves. Yeah. And people can try to grieve. And, you know, basically, I'll tell clients, look, you know, um, if you're crying alone there's a good chance that you're re-traumatizing yourself yeah you know yeah,
0: yeah you, you taught me that that was a big paradigm shift and aha moment for me around grief and I want to name for the audience like so grief can be of course grief loss of a loved one who's physically not there but it could also be someone you really needed there in a moment of emotional overwhelm and they weren't just physically present there with you right. Right. and I You know, I lost my dad and going through that grieving process, I was very like, I can handle it, I'll process it on my own. And I realized the true healing didn't start until I actually was doing these adult attachment repair sessions and not only just grieving the physical loss, but actually grieving all the times. Like, I wanted him to be in my life and he wasn't there when I really needed him. So it was beyond, it was all this childhood right. stuff um, of grief and things didn't shift for me I didn't start feeling better until I got to actually feel that experience with someone there like Felicia was my mentor at the time yeah, you know, that, yeah. that presence it's like typically it's like grief the trauma was happened because someone wasn't there so how are we going to repair it feel that emotion with someone there this time right,
1: right. so um, we're off to the races so to speak once a client says what you just said you know, about grief and about the loss of a, of a parent, the significance of that primary loss has to be understood differently. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where I'll start the clients down the path of rethinking things, that what we're going to do is you're going to experience what you missed out on. Mm-hmm. And the experience that you missed out on was having somebody hold your hand As you escalated in your grief, Mm -hmm. as you felt chaos come into your system. And what is more important in that instance is that there's a healing guide that can hold your hand through your own peeking out, so to speak, of grief. Mm -hmm. And I I liken it to going up a mountain, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're traveling up the mountain, we're pushing a rock up a hill here and you're not going to do it alone you're going to have some help and usually people want to run away during that part of the process the escalation of grief
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and my encouragement is no you've got the stick in your hand i've got the stick in my hand we're connected let's see this thing through Mm -hmm. so what happens is we crest the top of the mountain together and as we get to the top of the mountain We The client has never done that with anybody before.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's so basic to the attachment structures that we have to build in our system that all of a sudden just the experience of something that was understood as something that should happen, we just know that,
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: it didn't, and now it is, is the corrective force here. And clients need a lot of support to stay with the process. But once they get to the top of that mountain and look out into the valley, that's a first time experience. Yeah. Now, not only did somebody accompany them up the mountain, they're staying with them as they come down the mountain. Right. You know? And so their bodies de escalate, their bodies start to, to rest and become quiet. And that's really the cure. That's where the cure comes from. Not an insight, not a suggestion for problem solving, but a raw experience of connection is what corrects the physiology. Yeah.
0: That makes sense. Cause it's like, we learn to self-regulate our emotions when we're older through being co-regulated when we're younger to actually feel these intense emotions and have someone there through the whole arc if we're lucky enough and mm. but we don't get that right so that's where attachment traumas birthed right is like yeah. as little as little ones we needed when we were crying we needed that mama that caretaker to be there through the whole arc and the whole like oh, the settling as well and because we didn't get that that's kind of what we're repairing in adult attachment repair as an adult it's like I think what's so cool about this work, it's never too late to repair
1: this. No, 70-year-olds that I treat look just like the 20-year-olds in terms of their processing. Yeah. A little difference. What what is significant, though, is that as people come in and, and the treatment effort starts to stretch out a little bit in time, you can start to understand what is that person's traumatic load. Mm -hmm. In other words, I think that's one of the things I've brought to the table because I haven't seen it anywhere in all my reading and everything Mm -hmm. is that when I get somebody who's 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 maybe doing pretty well in life, but has a lot of really um, acute kind of symptoms, once they let themselves be seen, Mm -hmm. then I can kind of reassure them that they don't have to hide it that they didn't ask for all this trauma. They didn't want it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it represents an unprocessed traumatic load within them. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so the more that we learn to work together collaboratively and to trust each other and to know that it's the safest place they've ever experienced in their lives, given that I've figured out how to stay with somebody during the process of healing, then we know what their traumatic load is. And Mm -hmm. every time a person gets discouraged, I can say, well, you know, I keep trying to bring up to you how much trauma you have locked up in there that's unprocessed. And I want you to know that you didn't ask for a lick of it, none of it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm here helping you with that traumatic load and we just need to be patient
0: yeah totally well i love that you say it's a collaboration because it's not like us just doing the work on them or them having to make the breakthrough it is a collaboration like we we heal it's like trauma happens because of a disconnection of self the repair is connection of self same thing with this dynamic it's like coming together and joining forces and you filling me in on what's coming up for you and we get to feel that experience together that's the repair
1: so if you get there with a client then you've established a routine that will optimize the person over time. They'll become better and better.
0: Right.
1: And one of the things that I learned fairly early on, but didn't know if I was really seeing something accurately, was the reciprocal nature of the healing process. Mm -hmm. My family will tell you, uh, as a kid that suffered asthma and IBS and was in the hospital a lot and had all these distress symptoms um, you know I had a pretty high traumatic load myself and from doing this work just doing this work I've healed Mm -hmm. now that sounds like a you know ridiculous claim Um, (laughs) but it's true I mean I think you know Alan Shore who is like an encyclopedia of neuroscience and his book um, right brain psychotherapy. If you read the last couple of chapters, you'll see how sharing an internal state together brings healing to both the therapist and to the client both.
0: Absolutely.
1: And so, you know, as we work with people, we start, to to get better mm-hmm. ourselves. And, you know, there comes a point where the payoff is so significant that your system and the client's system, we both learn how to generate well-being within ourselves
2: mm-hmm. through
1: the process. And so I can have people that have been in therapy for four years and still may have another four years to go. Mm-hmm. But if their systems have learned how to self-generate well-being, you know, we can part ways and they can come back right. and see six years later and they're significantly better because the process has gotten them to the point where they can self-generate well-being.
0: Yeah, and I would love for us to actually talk about well-being, because I know my clients that listen to this podcast are going to know exactly what well-being is and how uh, we get there in session. Um, So I'd love for you to explain a little bit more, like, how do we get to well-being and what is well-being?
1: Well, I think the thing that lit me up the most in my reading has been uh, Harari, H-A-R-R-A-R-I, who is an Israeli 30-something-year-old wizard and uh, wrote uh, sapiens you know this enormous book you know i think it's a thousand pages and he basically taught us what all the um, revolutions were starting with the beginning of the earth Mm -hmm. and he told us okay in the beginning Mm -hmm. of this revolution now now we have a revolution of synthetics we're going from a revolution of agriculture and biology into an era of synthetics everything's going to be synthetic in the years to come Mm -hmm. um and what he said at the end of his book is that there's only one source of well-being and there are no others and what that is is happiness in the core of your body if you you can win a lottery, you can you know, have all of your material wants satisfied and nothing satisfies as much as feeling connected to another person in the core of your body. It doesn't come from any other place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if we start with that premise that people have to feel good in their bodies and if they cannot access feeling good in their bodies they're only getting secondary gain. They're not getting primary fulfillment. They're getting secondary gain. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, it's a pretty long journey to deconstruct all the damage that's been done and to reconstruct, uh, you know, a a neuronal structure in the system, in the nervous system that supports optimization, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just, I mean, I've got several clients that I've worked with for a long time right now. And as I kind of come closer to the end of my career, I didn't think a few of these people would ever, you know, be to the point where they would be optimized. And what I'm seeing is they are. They really are. Uh, Because their traumatic loads were so huge um, and they were so defeated. Mm-hmm. you know I have to put my foot up their butts once in a while uh, <laughs> but that's part of like surrogate parenting really totally. yeah
0: yeah uh, it's out of love it's like a little tough love <laughs> you, you've even given me some tough love and it was like exactly like I, I was pissed at you at the at the time and then I was like oh no damn he has some truth to that and it you know made our connection stronger so it's like every yeah. once in a while you need to to drop those to because you do it out oh. of love
1: And I think the fact that we're talking about this right now might cause somebody hearing this for the first time to start thinking about what the burdens are for them as the healing guide, as the person uh, filling the role of surrogate parent, um, but doing so in a professional way with all kinds of guardrails that reflect good, solid you know, psychotherapy, relationship, that stuff hasn't gone away, you know, even though there's a partnership in healing, the therapist still reserves themselves to be kind of an unknown entity to those they're treating as a way to hold on to their power, you know, Mm -hmm. so, Yeah. um, yeah, so when somebody comes into training, you know, I'm teaching people who may not have been acculturated into the mental health field Mm -hmm. Um, you know if you're uh, a metaphysical person alternative therapist and that you've been pursuing all kinds of energy work and you know meditation and yoga and all this stuff and spirituality somehow that person has to also be acculturated into the field of mental health because this method catches the attention of the mainstream therapist. And as you get clients, you know, you're know you gonna be thrust into the mainstream mental health world. So the six months and more of training is to also acculturate uh, therapists who haven't been given that, that mm-hmm. opportunity. For instance, you know, a lot of people won't keep their cell phone close by, you know, and I'm saying you can't do that. You know, you really can't do that. You've got to have the client has to know that you're just not going to forget about them in between. And I get very few calls from clients, very few. Yeah. But I don't rest on that as a reason why I can be off duty, you know, when. A part of me should be ready to go on duty if somebody's really and talk about texting. Oh, my God. You know, I love texting sometimes to drive a therapeutic point home. Yeah. You know, the the client may be struggling with something that, you know, I've said and they're fighting me on it and they're texting me and objecting. And it's a great opportunity to keep driving that point home and home and home and home um, through texting or emails and extend the therapy. And often, if you're revisiting what you said face-to-face in session, you know, you're you're really moving the needle along towards healing when you do that. So... Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm kind of backpedaling here, but with with the well-being piece as well, it's like well-being is created through like restful connection, right? Yes. And yes. what you are saying, kind of going back to the top down approach versus the bottom up. I, I mean, I was even trained when I first started as a hypnotherapist that your thoughts create your feelings, right? But I, what I learned through you and the work that this work has done for me is like oh no like there's an unpleasant sensation held in the body this attachment trauma typically and that's what's creating the stories of this the self-worth the trouble right. trusting and relationships whatever it may may be
1: yeah well thanks for bringing that up because i think what it does is it, it lets us kind of borrow from the ethologist e-t-h-o-l-g-i-s-t the people that study mammals in the wild mm-hmm and there's one book that I love called Mama's Last Hug. Yeah. And it's by an ethologist. I'm trying to remember his name now. Um, and what he's basically saying is that experience comes to us through the body. Mm-hmm. And the body will first register sensations that can be, you know, external or internal sensations. And that's a a disconnected experience. In other words, when things are happening at that level, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: there is no cognitive connection. It's all in the body. Right. There's a huge delay between the experience coming to us and then it becoming thought. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they all say there's no language there that you can use. And the only thing that you can do is be communing at a physical level and sharing that physical experience until it's processed enough to reach the higher levels of the hierarchy. In other words, our nervous system is stacked one on top of the next. Mm
2: -hmm. There's
1: a hierarchy. So I might have a fabulous brain that can deal with facts, but... If my development didn't make the foundation, the lower parts of my nervous system solid, I can't access that higher brain. It just right. is not anything that I can use. So a lot of times we'll see clients over the months and sometimes years of therapy go through, you know, like like, for instance, independence. their, their, their integration, their healing has caused them to mature to the point where they now can say, oh, I'm being a pain in the ass because I never got to do that. And I know I'm in my adolescence right now mm-hmm. and we can laugh about it, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. I feel like a lot of adults in this world are operating from a wounded inner child and right. don't really realize that they're operating from that space. And In
1: the field, we call that reenactment. Right. Your system is gonna reenact trauma until it gets it right and you know trauma is characteristically a looping kind of experience and to get that looping to stop you really have to be the expert you really have you know we talked in the beginning of this discussion about narrative voids mm-hmm. existential trauma um, you know and you have to narrate you have to be able to pull from everything you know, from Mm -hmm. the history, from the processing, from the moment that you're in with that client to narrate to them, okay, it's safe. You've got the stick in your hand right now. Mm -hmm. I don't feel you on the other end of the stick. Where are you? Mm -hmm. You're having a lot of stress right now. I can see it, I can feel it, I can palpate the emotion, but you're not using the stick, why? You know, and so the client starts to understand that they recoil, that they kind of uh, mm-hmm. shrink and that that's never going to bring them to resolution, you know, right. and so being able to call that out in the moment uh, energetically is an opportunity for the client to experiment with not running away when they need help.
0: hmm. yeah right and because it's like I always say (laughs) the universe doesn't you know recreate the same experiences to be an asshole it's like this happens this reenactment happens for you to like wake up and get the memo that you're repeating something that happened in the past and how cool this work we get to actually repair that so it doesn't keep looping
1: yeah and it's much more tragic than we think I mean right if, if you're a parent now and you've got unresolved trauma, developmental trauma, and it's really active in you and it's only processed at a looping level, to get to the point where you break through that, even in a minor, you know, bleeding sort of way, is how the process starts to happen. Mm-hmm. And the therapist has to be Johnny on the spot and be able to say oh you know this was a flash but it was pretty amazing and the client says oh yeah i noticed that but i didn't really understand that it had any any significance and you say no 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 we might even light a candle here it's that's significant <laughs> you know
0: yeah totally i think it it's all these things that we just didn't think were a big deal at the time. And that's why so many people like will come to me and be like, but I had a happy childhood and it's like, so we can hold that. There's really some beautiful aspects of your childhood, but you, you might be dealing with trust issues with people, or you can't hold on to your money financially, or you're dealing with anxiety, depression. Something had to have happened to create right. that, and we get to just instead of go into story of what we think might have happened, it's like we get to go into the implicit memory, we get to go into the body and just feel the sensations, and that's yeah for it to start to unravel.
1: And that's the deepest. Uh, way that a person actually does feel seen according to Alice Miller Mm -hmm. and maybe the system has been so disappointed that it can only do a flash of that because any more would be overwhelming to the system right and so often when people have attachment trauma um, and they access well-being it causes them to feel bad
0: right because they're not not familiar
1: they have a moment where they can contrast, where they can see, oh, oh, and oh, I can't afford that. That's going to turn me on my head, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those are often for somebody with a huge traumatic load. That's their first reaction to their body trying to encode well-being in their system is to flip out about it you know and to yeah. um, you know shut it down I mean people let go of the stick they open their eyes right it feel good you know
0: yeah it's like they're not used to feeling good so oh. there's almost like our mind loves what's familiar if feeling good and the body isn't familiar there's a, there's that um, transition that like to learn how it's safe to feel good and it's good I mean, to-
1: I'm working I'm supervising one person and they have this really traumatized guy who tends to veer towards violence. And they're now at a point of really settling into a therapeutic process. And when this guy feels good, he'll end up going home and having, um, you know, uh, what are those headaches, those bad headaches? Um, Migraine. Migraine. He'll go home and have migraine headaches as a result of feeling good.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: so I have to work very vigorously with this kind of novice therapist to say, don't let him fall between the cracks, he could fall between the cracks, because Mm -hmm. he's assuming that what you're doing with him is bad, because he gets these headaches. Mm -hmm. And what he really needs to understand that his system is in shock, when it receives something that it's gone without for decades. That's so primary to his stability that uh, if he just stays with it and doesn't get discouraged with the headaches, they're going to go away. They're, they're not going to be uh, the process, but he needs to stay with it.
0: Uh, you know, yeah, it's like the mind learns by repetition. We can't right. just do it once and say, okay, we're good. <laughs> but in a lot of talk
1: therapies, there'd be a total breakdown where they'd have to launch an inquiry into. Uh, whatever the client may know or not know about their headaches and the client doesn't know that's part of the narrative void they don't know you Mm -hmm. know yeah they felt that bad as a kid it was that damaging to them that they would go into spasm Mm -hmm. with headaches like that you know that maybe that just needs to happen for a little while so that it can unwind and go away yeah
0: that's it's almost like it needs to be presenced with a compassionate witness. Yeah, the only way is through it.
1: Not around it, not under it, not above, you know, just through it. And you as a guide have to be willing to stay with that person.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, in EMDR, it was a big thing to titrate um, high emotion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you weren't supposed to put somebody through high emotion spasms. Yeah. And I'm saying... That is just categorically wrong. The system, the body will bring the client right up to the threshold of overwhelm, but the body will never let the person go into overwhelm, especially if they're on the stick. It will be modulated somehow by the wisdom of the body. And I have 35 years of this to say, trust me on this. It's it's for real. I'm telling you the truth, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I always tell my clients, like they're about to like touch into some grief or some anger. I'm like, the body's not going to give you anything you can't handle. If it's coming up, it's because it knows you're ready to process this, which gives them kind of a little bit more ammo to like lean in. Um, And I think this is what builds resiliency, right? I think most of us weren't taught how to process emotions and, because we weren't taught it can be scary to touch into emotion. That's so right. through this work as we pendulate between negative sensation and emotion to positive sensation and emotion, the the client starts to realize like, oh, the pain doesn't last forever. Cause life's gonna throw shit at us. We're gonna have hard moments, but while we're teaching the client is that you can get through it and actually the only way out is through let's feel this together and then you feel the relief and well-being just naturally comes into your system and it just builds and builds from that space yeah I mean
1: as an arm therapist you know especially the new arm therapist that I'm training they'll say you know I really don't want to bring that up with a client because it's too heavy and it's too much for them and they're not ready for it and what I'll say to the the new the new therapist is, look, you're not ready for it. They're ready yeah, to go right. there. You're the one that's not ready to go there with them. So you have to examine why that scares you as a guide. Why does that put you off and scare you as a guide? When I have grandstanded, I've done jumping jacks, and I said. <laughs> the body will modulate
0: this, you don't have right. to, you know. Yeah, totally, no, this is actually a perfect way to snowball into kind of this final topic I want to talk about, it's like, yeah, it's it's really important for an arm therapist to know how to move through, like, have the emotional resiliency, so it's, it's not scary to go into that with someone in the trenches with their experience, and I think this is something that mothers, have a hard time with too. It's like, well, like I told you before we hit record was I was working with these women repairing things that they were going through. And they said through this work, it allowed them to just naturally become, they felt like better mothers to their kids. They're like, I can handle their emotions. Like it doesn't overwhelm me or trigger me. And I can like ride that wave with them now because like you rode that wave with me, you know? So like, I would love to hear your perspective of like how you think this work can support mothers. Because another, I guess, thought I just had is all of my friends that have had kids. What I noticed, it triggered their implicit memory of what they didn't receive in in their childhood. So, and I want to confirm with you, is that true that when you raise kids it can oftentimes trigger the missed experiences you've oh had you had no idea
1: <laughs> there's nothing more powerful than raising a child to stimulate your demons you know <laughs> really there's nothing worse that right. we...
0: um why do you think our children oftentimes trigger the unhealed trauma that still lives inside of us
1: because you know the cycle of life is such that we pass on our history, you know? And so you can see intergenerational dysfunction and it seems to show up out of nowhere, you know? It's like, how did that kid know that I picked my nose, you know, how do they know that? They're picking their nose, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, how did this kid know this? And so, you, you have to understand that you're in the soup, you know, as you raise this child, you're brought into the depths of anything and everything that your family has experienced over the generations.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you, the client sit in front of me and we do a family tree and we're looking at maybe two or three generations, we can start to see in those trees and those genograms, how things have been passed on,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, this is reenactment. And so, yeah, we can be right in the thick of things and lose perspective. But if you're following, you know, the bouncing ball, so to speak, if you're doing all the things I teach you to do, Mm -hmm. um, you're not gonna get lost. And, you know, you can feel the intensity of what the client feels, but I've never lost myself in that. I might have a very unresolved part of my own life that the client brings up and I can feel in my bones that not being resolved.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, as the guide, I can put that aside and be there for the client. And as far as the client is concerned, you know, I'm just a prince, you know, I'm just selfless, you know. Um, But, no, I'm I'm trying to fill the role of a surrogate parent here Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: not disappoint this person yet another time, especially knowing the levels of disappointment this person has endured thus far. You know, it's a very, very rewarding thing. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question there, but the, in you, know, you know, the triggering by children is huge, huge.
0: Yeah, totally. And it makes sense. I think, you know, family inherited trauma is, we didn't know how to process our emotions. And right. so when you watch your kid feeling their emotion, I feel like it triggers all the times where you weren't held in that. So you don't know, like it gets overwhelming to see them crying or getting angry Um, So you walk away or you get bigger and get mad at them. And it's like that, once again, that's the attachment trauma. That's the developmental disappointments now.
1: And I always want to interject in these discussions that the research is really clear that if you have a child and you want that child to ultimately be securely attached Mm -hmm. and optimized, you only have to be on the money 30 to 40 percent of the time. I love that you, know, so you only have that. to be emotionally attuned to that child 30 to 40 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And that will be enough to produce a securely attached child. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you've got to be perfect. Yeah. And what I tell most parents is it isn't about parenting the right way. That's not what this is about. It's about being able to repair damages. Mm -hmm. How are you as a person that can repair insult to that child? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's really where the biggest gains are had is when there's a mistake made with a child and the parent goes back and does what's necessary to repair it. That has huge benefit.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. It's so funny. Um, my first episode, I talk about my story, and I brought that fact up. I have a podcast episode with Felicia, and we brought that up again. And I, I want that to be a common message. So I'm glad you brought it up too. About like we're not looking for perfection. A kid doesn't need a perfect parent. They need someone that wants to strive to connect with them. It's like connection versus authority figure. Connection over everything. <laughs>
1: I think one of the things that illustrates this the most is that clients who are up in age and have adult children, for several of these people who have really gone through the process and really uh, integrated and healed and become optimized, their grown children have shown remarkable um, kind of trickling down effects, positive effects from their parents therapy. I mean I can remember one guy who was an alcoholic and homeless and the mother just couldn't get him to get his act together. And as she went through the therapy and she had limited contact with him,
0: mm-hmm. he he
1: he resolved all these things. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it ripples and imp- I tell my clients that all the time because it, it it's this work has done it for me too. It's like, as you repair these ruptures in your system, it's amazing how it ripples and impacts like right. your future generations and past generations. Sometimes we think, oh, I need to repair it with that person in order to heal. It's like, no, like just repair what's happening in your system with a an yeah, attachment therapist. how
1: that how that plays out because, yeah. you know, if you've had a boss, it's sort of like having a parent. You're very plugged into every aspect of that boss's psyche, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, if the boss were to get this treatment, all of all of the boss's subordinates would benefit. You know? Right.
0: Yeah, that's what's so beautiful. So it's like women, like the, the clients I take on, these women that are looking to become mothers or already are mothers, it's like when you take the time to repair these ruptures in your nervous system, it's just going to be a natural um, shift in impacting your your kids in a really beautiful way.
1: Yeah, and really what we see in the healing process is kind of a, another wave of healing that could go unnoticed quite easily. And that is people, as they go through the process and integrate, what they do is the first thing they do is they try to get control over their money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you see all of a sudden, oh, this person is starting to wake up around money. Um, then the next thing they do is they get their space together, their environment, their ecosphere, they get that together. hmm and then the last thing is body. They'll they'll develop a body image where they don't have to be at a peak condition, but they're still able to accept who they are in their body.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: those three things happen in a in a big wave that you'd hardly notice until you look back over your shoulder and say, Holy cow, you've changed in these three regards. And I've seen that with every single client. You know? mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Like those are the benefits of healing your attachment system. And I almost feel like it it can feel retroactive at first where it's like, you notice tiny little changes, but then you look back from a year from where you are now and you're like, Oh my God, so much has shifted. And, And that's what's so cool. It's like beyond just like with your child, it's like, not only it, It changes family dynamics. It changes the way you hold money and receive money. Like you said, your body image, your self-love, the way you clean up your space, even self-care, like taking the time to take care of yourself. All of that improves through this kind of work. I mean, in
1: in the 1970s, as we were all launching off to, you know, develop a name for ourselves so that we could be viewed as credible people in the field, you know, we, we... were kind of arrogant and we said, oh, we're gonna help you um, become self-actualized. Mm-hmm. And after you know a couple of decades of saying that and we couldn't see the results, we dropped it. We just forgot about <laughs> it. Um, but this method gets to what the field has always tried to go after, which is complex trauma. Mm-hmm. And the arm actually does correct um, complex trauma and um, things that um, were just you know out of reach before all change in the process mm-hmm. and you know the rippling effects of that are just magnificent you know
0: yeah and it just happens like I feel like it's through your personal embodiment things just start to, it's not something you have to like actively do to get somewhere it just becomes a part of your essence
1: right and I mean the the neurobiology of healing is that if we change the body, we'll change the mind that's van der Kalk
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: Vandercock's statement change the body, change the mind and really what he's saying is that the high level neuroscientists, uh, the people that deal with physiology and chemistry have found out that the involuntary nervous system has to change. And, you know, heart rate has been the one signal that they look at more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So as somebody moves through therapy, their vital signs are going to be less fluctuating as they move through therapy And so you may see a heart rate that that varied this much in the beginning where they weren't that stable emotionally. Mm -hmm. And as they move through therapy, that heart rate narrows and narrows. And so they're only bouncing back in here, which means they have capability of greater emotional control and modulation. And they have the we them thing. In other words, clients will say, you know, when I look at somebody, I look at them differently. I can say almost in a flash, that's them, this is me. Yeah. I couldn't do that before. I, I didn't have that capacity. You know, if somebody cuts me off on the road, I used to kind of go through all kinds of torment. And now almost instantaneously, I say, oh, they're kind of classless, you know, traumatized folks who I'm not gonna get into it with, you know? yeah that's the we them thing that starts to permeate everything
0: god yeah it's like through your personal healing you start to have just a deeper level of awareness of people you do
1: better self-modulation um right experts say that therapy doesn't matter what type of therapy it is is to create better emotional modulation in the system that's that's what we're all trying to accomplish with our
0: clients you know yeah, I feel like that's why most people are in their head is because they're scared to feel their emotions. But once you learn how to feel your emotions, then you don't have to worry about going into the head and creating all these stories. You can rest in the being. Yeah, being, being
1: in the head means the person is more willing to power struggle than not. Mm-hmm. If you can get them into their body, they're going to give up that power struggling stuff.
0: Right. Right. You know, because I'll
1: get really traumatized people that come in and they'll give me all these conditions. You can't say this. You can't do that. You got to do, you know, and all these conditions start to mount and I'll say, I don't work that way. You know, you can't come in here and tell me where I'm limited if you want me to be effective with you. So, no, I'm not doing those things. Mm -hmm. And some people decide to leave but I'd much rather have a meeting of the minds about that in the beginning you know, than later, because yeah. I've learned what conditions are gonna create resolution and healing and better functioning. And if somebody doesn't wanna do that, there's 12 other people out there that do you
0: know? Totally. Yeah. The condi- That's why it's like we talked about it. It, it is a collaboration. It's not yeah. just us doing something to a client. It's like, no, we got to work together. I'm going to hold your hand as we make it feel more safe to be in your body and make it right. safe to process right. these experiences. But there has to be at least an openness and a willingness to um, see that side for any transformation to occur.
1: So what I want your audience to know is that You know, the clocks are ticking in my life. I'm not going to be here forever. And so I'm trying to establish, like with the study group that I'll be offered, that's doable from a a life management point of view. Mm -hmm. To have another cohort where I'm responsible for six months of weekly training is too much. Yes. you know, if people are taken with this approach, they may wanna take whatever I have to offer right now because there may not be much there after I go. There are people like you and there's others in the group who may pick up the gauntlet and run with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think we're now in this next phase where the study group will, will help people like you to decide, okay, do I want to become a subject matter expert in the arm and deal with a slice of it that I can teach others about? Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm trying to cultivate right now is a whole bunch of specialists in different um, parts of the arm so that the training for new people can be shared across a broad range of people. And I can float in and out without having to take the burden of it all
0: yeah absolutely you know i want this work to be spread far and wide peter because this adult attachment repair model you created has shifted my life in so many ways as well as my clients lives and like i said the reflections that i keep getting from moms that do this work with me is that parenting is so much easier because their attachment systems are getting repaired so it's not so triggering to meet the attachment needs of their kids And this is why I'm coining the term embodied parenting, because what I've come to find constantly being in the trenches of attachment trauma with my clients is that in order to raise secure attached kids, we need to embody it first. So in other words, be held through the whole arc of our emotional waves. So it's easier to give that to our kids. And something I love to mention before you go, Peter, is that I love the way you teach this model because you also encourage us practitioners to take what you taught us and add to it. It's like as we do more and more of this work with our clients, we're going to be able to add more insights to the physical healing script you've created. And if I didn't have more experience with my clients, I wouldn't have even thought of using this arm method specifically for moms in this way. So I just have loved your openness and willingness to grow and expand this groundbreaking work you've already developed yeah i'm
1: getting people now from the cohort who want to rename things and call things different names and i'll say great do it but it's (laughs) yours just give me credit but it's yours you can call it something else if you want to yeah you know um educate people from that perspective i don't think it's going to be that much different than what i taught you Mm -hmm. and i want people to do that you know
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate it so much. And I deeply appreciate you and your embodiment of this work. So if anyone is feeling the call to become an ARM practitioner, like Peter mentioned earlier, he's offering study groups that I'm currently a part of as well. So you can listen in on us practitioners talk about our case studies, our insights, what's coming up for us as we all continue our private practices through Peter's work. So I'll make sure to have all of Peter's contact information in the show notes below. And if you'd like to learn more about receiving these adult attachment repair sessions yourself, so that not only your mental health can radically improve, but it can also make you a freaking super mom, you can book a free discovery call with me, which will also be linked below. So Peter, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. I appreciate you helping my listeners understand what attachment trauma even is, how it affects us, and the tangible, beautiful shifts that are created through this type of therapy.
1: I've always wanted to do one of these in my
0: pajamas, and I did. (laughs) Yes, I am all about that. It was so funny when Felicia (laughs) did the podcast with me, she was in sweats. I'm like, this is what I want. I want this to be... (laughs) Relaxed and chill, so this is perfect.
1: Well, that's one of the bucket list things.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, take care.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, please share it with them. And if you're loving these conversations, make sure to subscribe and leave me a review on what you love about the show, so I can keep the good vibes coming your way. And speaking of reviews, I also have something really, really special that I wanna gift to you. Over the past couple of years, I've created a prenatal, pregnancy, and postnatal wellness guide that I continue to update and evolve. And trust me, you're going to wanna have this resource by your side. It covers everything from my supplement recommendations, to grocery lists for every phase of the journey, to detox protocols, to prep for pregnancy, to mental health support, to discount codes, to non-toxic living tips, to spiritual rituals to connect to your baby, and so much more. So basically, it's the motherfucking shit. And it's a Google Doc. So rest assured, every time you click into it, it's the most up-to-date version. So if you want a copy of your own, it's super, super simple. Just leave a review for the Mama Embodied podcast, screenshot the review, and email it to shayna at shanaraytherapy.com. So that's shayna, S-H-A-I-N-A, at S-H-A-I-N-A-R-A-E-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y dot com, and I'll send you that free copy. Now, in case no one told you today, I want you to know that you're doing a fucking incredible job and the world is so much better with you in it. So thank you for being here and I can't wait to see you in the next episode.